turn again to the Word of God in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40. We'll read the first 11 verses, Isaiah 40, 1 through 11. Our text for this morning will be verses 9 through 11. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold. The Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. May God bless the reading. I'd like to read again the words of our text from Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. And his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom. And shall gently lead those that are with young. Perhaps you're familiar this morning with the words of this quote. Bad news travels fast and far. Good news often trudges along slowly and in secret. Bad news travels fast and far. Good news often trudges along slowly and in secret. Our text this morning pushes against that very notion that good news ought to trudge along 
in secret. The good news of the gospel is something that needs to be proclaimed, something that needs to be exalted and extolled, particularly in a day and age that thrives on negativity, on fake news, on bad news that travels fast and far and around the world again and again within a matter of seconds. News that ultimately cuts God out of the picture, doesn't it? The coming of Jesus, the gospel, is a message that needs to travel fast and far. A message that needs to be proclaimed and sounded forth with clarity, with power, with strength, with prominence, with urgency because of its life-giving nature, its life-giving power. That's what we see in our text this morning. It is a message, the gospel message, is a message that fills the need of the hour. A message for our cultural moment that thrives on negative news, on bad news, on fake news, on conspiracies, and everything else. It's a message that's relevant to us today. For our hearts, for our minds, we need the good news for our own lives this morning. Why? Because it's a message of hope. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message of of someone who is coming to lead exiles back into the land of promise. A message of God himself coming down to intervene for his people. Coming down to intervene for his people as shepherd king. What we have here, beloved, is a promise. A promise of the Messiah. A promise of a coming king. A king who has come. A king who's ever coming through his word, even this morning. A king who will come again with perfect justice and equity. Those are also words we often hear in our culture today. The pursuit of justice. The pursuit of equity. Well, here is one who is coming to execute that with perfection. Someone who we need A promise that has been realized in the coming of the Messiah, in the coming of Jesus Christ, realized in his birth, in his death, and his resurrection. And so our theme for this gospel message this morning is the coming shepherd king. First of all, we'll consider the good news of his coming. Secondly, we'll see the governing power at his coming. And thirdly, the gentle care at his coming. The good news of this coming shepherd king. Verse 9 begins with this announcement of good news. O Zion, that bringest good tidings. As I was reading these words this morning, I was almost tempted to start singing them. Just having been to a recent recital of Handel's Messiah, familiar words to us. Those words sung majestically by the choirs ring in our ears. This this glorious good news of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh as the shepherd king of his people. Surely this is good news. There's four aspects of this good news this morning that are worth noting that we need to take note of. The first is that this good news demands prominence. It calls for and is worthy to be prominently displayed in our lives and in the church. 
in the culture in which we live. This good news is not meant for a dark, small corner. It's not meant for caves and caverns. It's not meant for a soundproof room. The character of this good news is such that it it calls for us to sound forth this news with prominence. Listen to what Isaiah writes to the exiles as they're living in Babylon in a culture that was completely opposed to everything that the Jews stood for. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into a high mountain. If we would follow the original word order, it would simply read this. On a high mountain, get up, herald of good news, Zion. We were to go, as it were, to a place of prominence where all can hear. The good news of the gospel of the coming shepherd king is to be announced from the most prominent place possible. It is to reverberate far and wide so that all can hear this good news. It is to reverberate from the pulpits of this land. It is to reverberate from the people of God in this land. It is to reverberate within the church and outside of the church. It's to reverberate around the world, to travel fast and far. This was good news for the exiles. It was to be in a prominent place so that all the exiles could could see it and hear it. A command of preparation. Building anticipation for all those who heard that God was coming. God was coming. And secondly, it's good news that demands publication. God is a speaking God. We see that every time in Scripture. And God said, and God said, Thus saith the Lord. The Lord is always speaking. And so the good news demands publication. Again, the words of Isaiah in this parallel statement in verse 9. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. What Isaiah is doing here is expanding what came before in the previous statement. O Zion, that bringest good tidings. He, he again says, O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift up with strength your voice, herald of good news, Jerusalem. How is bad news often conveyed? It's conveyed in a whisper, isn't it? Did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, did you know about this? It's kind of spoken in hushed tones, isn't it? But not so with the good news. Lift up your voice with strength. How often don't we... Fail in this. We think somehow that the gospel is bad news and we we whisper the, the good news. But it's to be published with a powerful, with a clear sound, with a trumpet sound, as it were, to hold nothing back as the herald of good news. Thirdly, it is good news that deals with fear. 
There's often an accompanying fear that fills the messenger of the good news. That fills pastors and ministers and people in the pew. How will this message be received? If I speak to someone on the street, how will that message be received by them? There's this inherent fear in our hearts that somehow the good news will not do what it's meant to do. Will the message be scorned? What will people think? That's not our concern, is it? When it comes to the publication of this good news, we are to lift up our voice with strength and not be afraid. A message that calls for great boldness as we speak it. A message that leaves no fear of man because it's a message of good news from heaven. Here's a lesson for us as we engage in preaching and evangelism and teaching our children and our young people within our families. Our confidence does not come in our presentation of the gospel. As if somehow our presentation is going to do the persuading. Our confidence comes in the message itself, in the scriptures. In Reformed theology, we talk about the scriptures as being self-authenticating. We don't need to prove the scriptures. The scriptures will prove themselves in their effects, in the power that God has vested in his word. That's where our confidence lies in the proclamation of the message of the gospel. So we fear and tremble when we come behind the sacred desk this morning. A sense of our own insufficiency, but our sufficiency is of God and in his word. We come to others, perhaps in our families, and sometimes that's the most difficult challenge, isn't it? To speak to those whom we know the best. To bring the gospel to them. But here the message is, do not fear. This message is powerful. This message comes from God himself. This message is a message that transforms because it's the power lies in, in the gospel, not in the one who brings it. And Isaiah is speaking to Zion. He's speaking to the church, to the Old Testament church. He's speaking to Israel. Israel, that was to be a light to the Gentiles as we we read further in Isaiah. It was the church who was to proclaim the good news of the coming king to itself, but also to the watching world. What is the good news? What is this good news that calls for prominence, that calls for the strength of the one who speaks it? The message that that calls for publication, the message that, that deals with fear, what is that message? That's the fourth characteristic that we see, the message itself. Here it is in verse 9. Behold your God. Behold your God, the very substance of that which we are to bring to each other and to a watching world. God has not forsaken his people. He's coming for them. He had spoken comfortably to them in the the previous verses that their sins were forgiven. 
Yes, they were in exile as a result, as a consequence of their sin, but their sins had been forgiven. God had dealt with the sins of his people. They were covered. And now he's coming for them. The temptation in exile was to think that God had forgotten them. That temptation rings true for us too, doesn't it? Somehow to think that God has forgotten us in this moment in which we live. Challenges for the church. Challenges in our individual lives of faith. Challenges within families, watching our children walk away from the church and from the faith. Hearts growing cold. Increasing hostility in the culture as it comes against the church. The temptation is to think that God has forsaken us. But here's the good news this morning. Behold your God. In the context of these verses, as Isaiah is speaking to the Israelites, to the Jews in exile, the coming king was still coming. But for us, he has already come. God is intimately acquainted with the things that we are going through. But the reality that this verse speaks of, that the good news speaks of, is that God himself has come down to redeem his people. God himself is coming to be with his people. He's coming to lead them from exile. He's coming in the flesh. You see, there's two levels to this prophecy. That which was still coming for the Jews and that which has come for us as we read this prophecy today. And that which is still to come in, in the fullness of God coming to be with his people. In the new heavens and the new earth. It is this message that we are to preach, that we are to live. Behold your God. Behold your God. He's come, and he's coming again. Is this news traveling fast and far? Or is it just trudging along? Tempting to think that God really can't do much with such a message. But he calls us to believe that message afresh this morning. Not to live in doubt and in fear. But to believe this message afresh that has been proclaimed to us again and again and again. That God is coming and he has come for his people. And he calls us to repeat this message to each other, to encourage each other, to, to speak it to a watching world that is lost in darkness, the world that desperately needs this good news of the gospel that God has come and he's coming. Whenever he speaks to us, he comes. Are we speaking it? Are we publishing it with our strength? within our context, within our families, in the workplace, wherever we are, are we heralding forth this good news that God has come in the flesh to redeem sinners like you and like me? How can we love our neighbor best? 
in this day and age? Isn't it by speaking the good news? Speaking of this coming shepherd king? When the world is going awry and people are asking questions, what solution will we bring to them? Do we simply say, exercise your duty as a citizen and vote? That's a a first step. But fundamentally, we call them to repentance and faith in this shepherd king who has come to proclaim this good news of his coming. And as we gaze on this shepherd king, we call people to submit and we ourselves submit to his governing power at his coming. That's our second thought this morning. We see he's coming with great strength for the exiles in Babylon. That was the encouraging part. What power could stand up against the Babylonian empire of the day? Surely it's hopeless. But the prophet comes with this message. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. Yahweh himself is stirred at the plight of his people. He will forgive them. He will restore them. He sees their weakness in the face of the imperial power of Babylon. He sees their weakness of their sins. He knows the tendencies of their hearts. He knows the spiritual adultery that they've committed. He knows everything about them. And he's coming for them. The world power of Babylon could not stand in the way of this power of God. The sins of Judah that brought them into exile were no match for the strength of the Lord God who was coming. We look for help. We look for someone who is strong. Someone who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Behold your king, beloved. Your strong God who has come in Jesus Christ, in the Messiah. Maybe the circumstances of your life have caught up with you. You're afraid. You're weak. You're vulnerable. You wonder if you will make it across the finish line. Do you look at your weakness? My friend, behold your strong God this morning, the one who comes for his people with strength. The powers of this world are no match for him. He overcomes his and your enemies in the glorious display of strength. Where? On the cross. That which was ridiculed as weakness by the world is a believer's source of strength this morning. The cross. That's where he's come. When we think of Advent, when we think of Christmas, we think of Christ coming as a baby in the flesh. A little baby laid in the manger. But what nativity scenes always get wrong is that they forget to place a cross 
in the middle of that scene. Christ as the coming shepherd king came in the shadow of the cross where the arm of the Lord was revealed as an arm of strength to redeem sinners like you and me, to give us strength this morning. If we want to know where God is strong and powerful as overcoming sin, hell, and death in the cross and through the grave, look there and behold your God this morning. This is the essence of the gospel, isn't it? Your God, believer, flexes his great strength at Calvary. In the redemption of his own, he, he bends his great power and strength and he's born in the, in the babe of Bethlehem. And he's lifted up as a savior on the cross and he overcomes the power of death through the grave. He's come. The arm of strength. We come to the Lord, we are reminded that we do not come in our own strength, but we come because His power draws us to Himself. Behold your strong God this morning. Anything that comes against you, we are reminded of our great need of God as our strength. As the one who clothed Himself with flesh to come to redeem us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He is our King. Let us follow Him this morning. He comes with power, but He comes to rule. Isaiah prophesies here in verse 10, His arms shall rule for Him. His strength not only overcomes enemies, but His arm will rule His people. What a message for us this morning. Seems like our leaders are inept at governing the people, and the people themselves seem ungovernable. But not so with the Lord God. He is always effectively ruling, even now. As we live under inept rulers, those who are incompetent to rule over the people, Who is the one ruling over them? It is our God who sits on the throne. We sang of that just before Sunday school started. From Psalm 2. The kings of the earth, they rise up and they shake their fist of rebellion against the Lord. And the Lord sits on his throne. He laughs them to scorn. He's overcome those enemies in the cross. And now he rules his people. And so in one sense, we are under the rulers of the earth, but we are under the the great ruler, the the God, God himself. He rules with an arm of strength. The word arm there is also indicative of strength. We could simply say he rules with strength. What does strength signal to us? Children, when you think of your dad, you think of him as strong, don't you? Maybe you compare him to your friend's dad and you say, my dad is stronger than your dad. Your dad is a place of refuge, a place that you can go to and and be safe. He's reliable. He's always there for you. 
Well, that gives us a picture as to the strength of God for his people. It speaks to his reliability. It speaks to his constancy. His strength never waxes or wanes. It's always there. It's steady. It's ordered and sure. It's faithful. It speaks to the longevity of the strength of God. It never tires. He rules with the word of his power. He speaks and it is done. We see that no more powerfully than when God created the world. When he said light, it was light. He simply speaks things into existence and so he speaks with his word of life and he speaks life into existence in the hearts of his people. Nothing remains outside of his rule as a great result of his, of his great strength. He's the one who sustains all things. He's the one who directs history or his story for the good of his people. This is the one who's extending the borders of his kingdom through his word, through the good news, overcoming rebellious sinners, making them his willing subjects. This is the God whom we serve. The God who rules your and my unruly hearts. Is this not of great comfort to you this morning? That there is a God in heaven who sees you, who has come down. A God in heaven clothed still with flesh. Our flesh in heaven, our great high priest seated there. Our great shepherd king seated there this morning who knows intimately our needs. Who overrules everything in our lives for our good and for his glory. A God who knows your grief. A God who knows your struggles. A God who knows your weakness. A God who knows your joys. A God who knows your temptations. A God who knows your loneliness. Whatever it is, he knows. And he rules all things for his glory and for your good. He rules with the strength of his word. He comes with his word again to remind you, to draw you out of yourself, to behold your king. That's the message this morning. To look away from everything else and to behold your king this morning. Do you see him? Do you see him by faith? Are you clinging to him? Even as his everlasting arms have always been underneath you, holding you up, bearing you up with strength. Is he not worthy of your love and dedication? Certainly he is a king worth serving. He rules with strength to protect you. Moment by moment, will you not come to him again and be strengthened through his word, by his presence with us? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a king. What a king we serve. Behold your king this morning. He, his strength is not off-putting, is it? His strength draws us in to the orbit of his grace this morning. So that we can 
draw from his power and from his strength. He's, he lowers himself so low. In the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can receive of his strength this morning. He's not a king who sits on the throne and bids us depart this morning. There's a king upon his throne whose throne room is open in and through Christ by which he bids sinners to come, those who are weak in themselves, to come under his rule, to draw from his strength, to wait for his justice. That's what we see his strength, his perfect strength issues forth in perfect justice. Isaiah prophesies in verse 10, Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. His reward or his his recompense, his work or his recompense speaks to the justice of God and how he will judge and repay every man according to his work. Imagine the exiles for a moment sitting in Babylon for 70 years. When will justice come? When will the promise be fulfilled? Oh, it's coming. He will judge his enemies. He will reward the just. His justice is perfect as it is strong. It's inflexible and always fair. There are many who are looking for justice today. But they miss the key aspect of justice. They want to circumvent the cross of Jesus Christ. They want to pursue man-centered, human-centered justice. That actually perpetrates injustice even more. But when we look at the cross... We see perfect justice there. There, the justice of God shines in its perfections. He's maintained his justice by sending his son to suffer the judgment that sinners deserve. In Jesus, there's hope and perfect justice to be found before God. In the words of Anselm of Canterbury, the old medieval theologian who wrote about the doctrine of the atonement. He wrote about the justice of God, the payment that needed to be made for sins. We can reduce his his argument to these three things. He said, man ought but cannot pay the justice of God. God can, but he ought not. God doesn't have to satisfy his justice. Because he's perfectly just in himself. Even hell reflects the perfect justice of God in its punishment. God didn't have to send his son. And the third thing that Anselm proclaimed about the atonement was that the God-man both can and ought. As the perfect man, he ought 
to pay for the justice of God. And as God, he, he could pay that perfect justice. And so this morning we see justice in the Lamb of God. This is how God can rule his people justly. The penalty paid, the guilt exonerated, taken away through the perfect justice of God displayed in Christ on the cross. Comfort for the people of God, for the exiles as they labored in their exile. The news that justice was coming, not just in a baby born in Bethlehem, but in their king going to the cross. There's no irony, but perfect truth in what Pilate wrote above the head of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. The king who who dispensed perfect justice in the cross. Comfort for the people of God. That which we ought to pay but cannot has been paid by Christ. But here's also terror, isn't it, for those who do not find shelter in this king this morning. A word of warning to you that the inflexible justice of God will not bend simply because you've done something good. Simply because you think that you are a good person and you can earn your way to God or God will somehow accept you because of of who you are. Or maybe you suppress the truth of God. You're pushing God away this morning as if he doesn't exist. You're living like a practical atheist. Even if if you can't deny the existence of God. Fair and inflexible justice will meet you if you don't repent. This message is not to make you afraid in the sense of not offering any hope but to set before you the reality of the wrath of God if there's no repentance. To turn you to this king who has paid the price of justice, who has displayed that perfect justice in the cross. That's where the gospel calls you to turn this morning. And so it's a loving warning. Revelation 22, verse 12, reminds you, reminds all of us. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. This reward of justice to give every man according as his work shall be. The righteous will receive the reward of grace. The unrighteous will receive the reward of punishment. That's the reality that's coming in the rule of our king. And so the gospel calls us to behold your God, to behold your king. To realize that we're under his rule, that we are under his gentle care. That's what we see in our last thought, the gentle care at his coming.
There's no tension between these two aspects of who God is. A God of strength and a God of gentleness. In fact, meekness indicates great power kept under control with a specific aim, with a specific goal. And so meekness or gentleness is not weakness. We need to understand gentleness and meekness as power under control. Let me use an illustration between two husbands. On one hand, there's an abusive husband who exercises authority and power with with cruelty, with, with terror. Then you have another husband who has that same authority and power in the home. But he takes that authority and that power and he, he uses it to nurture his wife, to care for his wife. You see the difference. The one is meek and gentle. He uses his power to God-ordained ends. The other one is cruel and abuses his authority and his power. When we're meek and gentle, we reflect something of who God is in Christ as the coming king, as the gentle shepherd of his people. He uses his power and strength, his authority to lead his people gently. That's what Isaiah highlights in verse 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. He did that to the exiles. He does this spiritually today, leading to the place of his glory, ultimately leading believers home to himself. There are three aspects of this gentle care that I want to lift from the text this morning as we meditate upon the good news of his coming, of God himself coming to lead his people with strength and gentleness. First of all, we see his faithful provision. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. Like a shepherd. Children, what does a shepherd do for his sheep? A shepherd leads the sheep, doesn't he? He takes them to pasture. He takes them to the place of green grass. When that green grass is gone, he will find another place for them so that they can feed, that they can be fattened, that they can be fed and nourished. A good shepherd will know exactly what his sheep need, how much they need, and when they need it. A good shepherd will make sure that there's fresh water for his sheep so they can drink. The prophet Isaiah this morning describes the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming as the shepherd. The Lord knows exactly what we need this morning as the shepherd of our souls. He knows the journey can be difficult and hard from the place of exile to the place of promise and glory to the spiritual Canaan, the land of promise. What does he do? He feeds with purpose so that our souls are fed with himself from one place to another, ensuring that we never run out of food, we never run out of water. He comes again and again. He doesn't feed us yesterday's bread, but he gives fresh provision to sustain us in the journey to the celestial city. 
He takes the weary this morning and encourages you to his faithful provision in himself. He takes the weak and strengthens you with his faithful provision in himself. He takes the wounded from sin and heals them with his faithful provision, binding up their wounds. He takes the struggling and the backslidden and points them back into the right direction in which they are to walk with himself. Leading the way. Maybe you're a stubborn sheep this morning. He takes you. He hems in your way and brings you back to his faithful provision in the gospel. Not suffering you to to fall. He comes himself, doesn't he? Behold your God. The shepherd who gives himself as this faithful provision laying down his life for the sheep so that you and I might live. It's faithful provision to feed us. He comes again through his word. From time to time he comes in the sacraments to feed us, to nourish us. Like a flock, a shepherd, he feeds us. Secondly, we see his strong protection. His faithful provision, his strong protection. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. How does this picture the strong protection of a shepherd? Children, if you think of David, what animals did David kill in order to protect his sheep? He killed the lion, he killed the bear. He was looking out for the safety of his sheep. I'm sure when there were little lambs that could hardly walk and they were being threatened or they were walking over rough territory and couldn't handle the rocks, the sharp stones, it was then the shepherd would carry them and hold them close to himself, bears them over the rough terrain, protecting them from the elements close to his heart showing the value that he would place on these young lambs, the future of his flock. What a beautiful picture this is for us this morning. How the shepherd comes, the shepherd king comes to care for us this morning. He protects us by his word. Remember the word arm in verse 10 could also be translated strength. He protects us by his great strength, by his spirit. His strength is not aimed to break down the sheep this morning, but to build them up and to protect them, to hedge them about with his word and with his gospel. How we need his protection these days. How often don't we run to the bad news first? We click on this headline, we click on that headline, and before we know it, we are in a tizzy and we're, we're lost in the confusion and the anxiety of the moment. We see the wicked flourishing. We see the proud exalting themselves. We become afraid. Only after living like this for a while do we turn to the word of God. But then, then we see the protecting grace of the shepherd. As his word brings sanity and perspective and focus again on our God. 
It's like David said, or Asaph in Psalm 73. He saw the wicked flourishing. It's like he was reading the headlines and he was all anxious. He was murmuring against God, how can this be? And then he came into the house of God and the truth about who God was set him straight. His heart protected by God and his truth. So God is showing us where we need to turn first to his word of power. But in the gospel, he protects the weak and defenseless sheep and brings them to a place of refuge in himself, near to his heart. Protects the vulnerable by strengthening through the gospel this morning, by directing your gaze not to yourself, not to your circumstances, but to God who is over those circumstances, the God who holds you and protects you. Protects those who are wandering this morning. And he says, come back. You're exposing yourself to danger. Reminds you of the cost of the shepherd and laying down his life for your sins. And he says, how can you sin if such a great price has been paid? In the gospel, he holds lambs near his heart, the young. The young in faith. Young lambs of the flock, perhaps young in age, holds them near his heart, showing the infinite value of even the lambs. Maybe you're a struggler this morning, one who's looking for hope, one who struggles with the assurance of faith. Here's the value that God places on you this morning a lamb. It's not just the mature you that he values. But here we see his infinite value, the infinite value he places even on the little lambs in faith. That ought to be an encouragement for you to find shelter in him again. To pursue the shepherd. To walk with the shepherd. To be safely borne along in his arms of protection this morning what he's done for you in the cross by coming. And thirdly, we see his gentle refreshment, his faithful provision, his strong protection, and now his gentle refreshment. He gently leads those that are with young. Here's a picture of the shepherd out on the hills of Bethlehem. There's some very large pregnant sheep that are walking as part of the herd. He does not push them hard, but he leads them carefully to a place of quiet rest where they can give birth, where they can nurse their young, a place of refreshment where they can rest a while and be nourished by the shepherd. What a promise to Israel. As they long to return to Jerusalem, to worship God in the temple. But isn't that a beautiful spiritual picture of what Christ does for his sheep this morning? He leads us to a place of quiet rest in himself. The storms can rage around us, 
Yet Christ is our refuge this morning. He, he bids you and me to come and rest in him and his gentle refreshment again. He knows exactly what you need. He knows your need, believer. His grace is perfectly matched to that need. He's the good shepherd. His desire is to lead you to rest in him. Every time we feed on him in the gospel, we have a foretaste of what's coming for believers in heaven, where God himself shall come. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them to living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. I don't know about in New Jersey, but in Michigan we have rest areas along the interstates. I'm assuming they have those here too. Those have been a huge help to us and our family as we travel between Canada, Ontario, and Michigan. Places to stop, have a little break, stretch the legs, and be refreshed to continue the journey on until we get home. But always looking to home. The rest area is not the permanent place of address. And so this morning, we are reminded that as we sit under the gospel, as we hear the gospel proclaimed of the coming king, this is not our permanent address. This is just a rest area in which God is feeding us, encouraging us until we're home. So the message to you this morning is, behold, your coming shepherd king. He's come once. He comes through his word this morning, displays all of these things and is all of these things for his own. But the good news is that he's coming again to take us home. One way or another, will be taken home, whether it's in this life through death, when he appears again on the clouds. But in the meantime, he calls us to behold your God, your shepherd king. Amen. Let's pray. Or let's sing, rather. Um, let's let's sing, uh, pray, sorry. It's uh, Different, different order here, so let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this message of the gospel that thou was given, not just to the ancient people of Israel. And we trust we'll still have fruit in them today, but also for us this morning, a message that is so relevant and needful for us, the comfort of thee, our coming King. And so may we behold thee this morning with the eye of faith and continue beholding thee until that day when we shall see thee face to face, either through death in this world or when thou wilt come again upon the clouds. Either way thou art coming for us. And so we say with the bride of revelation, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. In thy name we pray. Amen.